Well, hey, good morning. My name's Cameron McCullough. I'm the associate pastor here, and I usually lead worship, so this is different. I think I might just grab the guitar as a security blanket, but uh, make me a little more comfortable. But it's, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, dads, raise your hand. God bless you guys. It's a, a difficult job, and our society is trying to diminish that role that you have, and uh, we can't let that happen. So great job being here this morning. I'm going to get choked up right, right off the bat. Pastor Alex will be proud. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and the role you guys play in, this, in your families is huge. And uh, if you watch TV shows or cartoons or any other thing on TV, usually that role is, is really the dad's kind of a, a bozo. He makes mistakes and makes things tough for the family. And, and that's not the case. Dads are leaders, and that's what you guys are doing for your family. So thank you. Can we just give dads a, a round of applause? <laughs> and uh, socks are probably not... The, the best gift, but please take some socks on your way out because uh, your job is hard and we're talking about things that are too hard today. So, um, so yeah, uh, just before we get going, just to kind of, life is full of just hard things and there's a, a, a bunch of lies that the enemy and the world wants us to believe as we go through those hard things. And a lot of times you hear the, the rhetoric of, hey, uh, you can do anything that you put your mind to. You're strong enough. You're, you're bold enough by yourself. And so that leads to us trying to take things into our own hands and it doesn't work when things are really hard to try to take things in your own hands. So um, we're going to be looking at six lies that the enemy uses uh, to really get in our heads and, and uh, how we can battle those lies. So the six lies will be up here this week. Today, we're going to be talking about it's too hard. Maybe you fought this this morning, just getting here to church. And I have little ones. Sometimes it's hard to get here on time. So uh, maybe you fought that today, man. It's just too hard to get out the door. We'll just, we'll just stay home and watch online or you know, something like that. And then the second lie, uh, I'll also be speaking next week. Pastor Alex is taking a break from speaking for a little bit. Um, it's called I'm Too Tired. And that's another lie that the enemy uses. That's next week. And then on uh, J- July 3rd, Joel Berry, who was just up here doing announcements, um, he'll be speaking on It's Not What I Want. That's just another uh, lie that we hear often, especially on the playground. Uh, it's not fair. Uh, I'm the only one. Ben Montgomery will be speaking in this series as well. And uh, then the last one is, it's not worth it, and that's a very dark place to be, and uh, it happens. So we want to talk about how to combat that. These lies are all subtle, right? Like, life is hard, and these lies are all usually subtle, and they make sense to us, and they're easy to, to believe. And as we believe it, our feelings take over, and then we start to get these discouragement feelings, these self-pity feelings. But the Bible really commands us against feeling that way. And so just to start right off the bat... I want to uh, first just tell you that, that these lies make sense, and they make sense to your children. So dads, we just talked about the role you play, and, and moms as well. Point these out to your children. Uh, our kids' zone goes through these um, every so often. I, I think they just did, and they, they brought home a craft that we use at our house, and it's a mobile. It goes, hangs in their room, and it has all those lies and how to combat those and what verses to use against them. And my family's been implementing that. And man, what a difference it makes that when my littlest one says, it's not fair that Sissy gets that, I can say, well, let's talk about it's not fair. What did Sissy do to deserve that? Is there a privilege that she's getting that maybe that you could try to do to get that same privilege? And it's just that simple to redirect their thoughts in order to keep them on uh, the right path and, and out of these enemy lies. So adults, we have these same thoughts, but we don't usually vocalize them. We keep them on the inside, and they really bind us up. They really twist us up inside, and then we end up making poor decisions. Uh, because of them, and we give up on things, and 
we sleep instead of doing what we should be doing. And there's all kinds of things that happen because of these lies. So this morning we're going to focus on it's too hard. Uh, the, the major temptation when we think that it's too hard is that we really cave into fear. We start to worry. We get this, this discouragement. But, but the Bible commands us against those. So, so here's, here's a few verses that I just want to kind of walk through. We're going to go rapid fire, so they should be on your listening guide. There's a listening guide in your program as well. Forgot that part. You can follow along, and that really helps uh, to just take notes so you can kind of re- look back on it later throughout the week. So uh, the first verse is Deuteronomy 31, 5 through 6. And it says, And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do them according to the whole commandment and I, that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Joshua 1, 9, I have, com- have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then there's Philippians 4, 6 through 7. This is a popular one, and it's one of my favorites. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So as I was preparing this, uh, it's too hard thought message, I was just thinking, is it really a thought or is it a feeling? And the answer is yes. I came to the conclusion that yes, it's a thought and it's a feeling. And uh, it's very important uh, to keep our, our mind wrapped around the fact that when we start to believe these thoughts, it becomes a feeling. And so if, and then I was thinking, you know, if, if we just feel like we're unstuck and we just say it's too hard, um, We'll never get unstuck because the thing that's keeping us stuck is the thought and it's the heart. And a lot of times we want to focus on the surface circumstance and uh, what really needs to change is the inside and our thought patterns. So um, today, as we uh, as we dig in, we're going to be talking about Gideon. And Gideon's a tough story, um, and and it's a really hard situation. One of the hardest I can think of actually in the Bible. Right? I mean. Not as hard as Jesus, of course, but Gideon has a really tough story, and uh, he gets put in a position of leadership, and he doesn't really know that he's supposed to be there, and it gets hard and harder and harder and harder until he finally sees God come through. And, uh, and that's the case. As long as we keep feeling like it's too hard, we'll stay stuck. So if your marriage, if it's too hard to do the hard things that make a marriage thrive, if you just give up, it's going to stay stuck, and it's actually going to get harder. And parenting, this is another one. If we just stay stuck and say, you know what? Kids will be kids. And we just let it ride. Uh, yeah, we'll stay stuck. And uh, no one gets a pass on the hard times. That's the other thing is, is in America, we like to just kind of cruise. We like to put it in cruise control and take a nice ride down Easy Street. And um, the fact is that if we do that, those problems don't go away. They stay. And then they resurface. And we try to avoid them again. And they just get harder and harder and harder. And they get bigger. And there's more of them. And if we don't tackle them and go through them, that's where we find our biggest problems. But no one gets a pass on these things. Uh, keeping a job, maybe some of us are struggling with that. Can, everybody in here has dealt with a hard time, right? Can, can we all agree on that? Nobody, nobody has stayed on easy street their whole life? All right. Um, so yeah, so keeping a job, finding a spouse. 
People struggle with singleness. It's a fact. It's hard. Uh, health. Health is a big one. Crazy things happen. We get sick. It's hard. Hard times. And then there's the hardest of all hards, and that's death. We deal with it. Probably everybody in this room has, and it's a hard thing. So we have all these hard things, but why? Why do we need them? Well, I'm going to read a passage here, 1 Peter 1.7. It says, These have come, speaking of trials, so that you have faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So we go through hard times. This passage says so that we can have genuine faith, that our faith will grow, and that when we do get through these hard times, we can praise God and make him evident to those who see those things happen. And uh, it's, this is a huge uh, just verse in my life because hard times really bring God from true to real. And I had a time in my life when my dad, who goes to church at Ridgeview, you all know him. Some of you might know this story, um, but he, I'm going to try to tell it without crying. He, uh, one day I was 14 years old and, and he was having some very difficult times breathing. He could barely walk maybe five, 10 feet without having to hunch over and, and get a breath. And uh, man, it was hard. It was hard to see my dad that way. He was the provider of the house. He owns his own real estate appraising business. And when you can't breathe, it's really hard to measure and take pictures of houses. So he was struggling. And because he was struggling, the family was struggling because, again, that role of a father, um, my mom's stressed, dealing with the kids and the house and trying to figure out how to pay the bills. He was in the hospital for multiple weeks. And, but through this, uh, what I saw is my parents never lost faith. They knew God was real, and they knew he would come through. So we prayed, and then we also knew that he had a plan in it. So regardless of what happened, God was in control. He's sovereign, and there's a plan in this. So long story short, he spent weeks and weeks in the hospital. Um, one day, the doctors came in and said, hey, there's nothing else we can do. Um, and mind you, when they took him in, they said, we don't usually find, he had a pulmonary embolism. So we don't usually find these in the emergency room. We find them in autopsies. Not what you want a doctor to say when you're visiting. Um, so we're all stressed, right? And one day they come in, they say, there's not much else we can do here. We need to send you to San Diego in a helicopter, and they're going to take care of you there. But before we do, we want to take another scope of the blood clots in your lungs, and so we can show them what they're dealing with when you get there. And uh, when the doctor came in and, and did the scope, to his surprise, there was nothing there. Um, He's like, wait a minute, <laughs> what happened? And, uh, you know, there's always the doctor, and then there's, like, the doctor. So the, the doctor came in and said, you're not doing it right. Give me that scope. And he said, I got pictures of this on my desk. I've been looking at it for weeks. There's no way that they're gone. And so he scoped around and said, nope, they're gone. And his words were, this is a medical miracle. And uh, my dad's response was, no, it's a, this is God. This is a God miracle. And uh, so from that day... My faith and my family's faith went from true, knowing God existed, knowing God was there, to real, and my faith grew because of this. And this is really, this passage relates your faith to gold. It's more valuable than gold. So what better way to give an analogy than through a gold mine? So really, the, the hard stuff in life are the tunnels needed to mine the gold of faith. In order to get to that gold, to get to the, through the hard stuff, you got to work hard you got to persevere. If you went to a gold mine today and said, man, what's up with all the tunnels? They would go, have you seen what we do here? <laughs> you don't just walk up to a mountain and, and pull gold off the side. So 
the hard stuff in life are those tunnels needed to mine gold of faith. And if you don't go through the tunnels, if we just say, hey, this is way too hard, if the people mining the precious metals said, this is way too hard, I'm just going to give up, I'm going to do a couple uh, throws with my, my axe, my pickaxe here, and I'm just going to set that down and walk away, all they would have in the mountain would just be hard rocks that are a little bit chipped away with not much to show for it, no gold, no faith. And that's the same thing. If we just say, I give up, it's too hard, I can't do it, uh, we just are left with a bunch of hard and nothing really to show for it. So we can't give up because the more we give up and the more we say this is too hard and we just throw everything to the side, the more uh, it becomes natural for us to just do it. And anytime then when we get faced with hard things, we'll just say, yeah, it's too hard. I'll move on. So the, <clears throat> if we continue to do that, we'll never persevere. And then our kids won't see, like I saw my dad persevere in faith and our kids don't see that, then they don't believe it. And it's just a, a chain reaction of things that just lead from, from your example as a parent, as a Christian, to non-Christians. It's huge as you battle hard things to have faith and persevere through it. So I could leave with that. Just persevere. See you later. Happy Father's Day. God will come through. He has a plan, right? That'd be easy. But no, let's talk about how we develop faith in the middle of the hard things. How does that happen? This is the question, that this is where it gets hard. So this is where we're going to the story of Gideon. And like I said, Gideon was a man. He was, uh, when, when God approached him through the angel, he was hiding. Um, and he was scared of the Midianites. The Midianites was this huge army that was completely devouring everything the Israelites did. Last week we talked about the Israelites getting uh, to the edge of the promised land, Moses passing over to Joshua. Um, and this is afterwards. So I'm going to give some background here uh, to the start of this story. There was a period of 300 years after the death of Joshua where the Israelites had a recurring sequence of events. And this sequence of events will be up here on the screen. I'll I'll kind of walk through. And this was a constant cycle. For 300 years, they did this. The Israelites would first they'd be at peace, and then the Israelites would do evil. And then the anger of God would burn against them. Uh, God would let just people pillage. The foreigners would come in and, and devour all their crops and all the things that they had, and they would be left with nothing again. And then uh, they would cry out to God for help. They would remember. Say, oh, that's, that's right. Let's cry out to God. Uh, God sends them a deliverer or a judge. This is the book of Judges. God's uh, spirit would empower these leaders. He would really take uh, them over as spiritually, and they would be just great leaders. And then, well, most of them, and then peace follows. But then they would uh, go right back to evil. And usually it was worse than before. And so this cycle continued. Uh, where we find Gideon is seven years the Israelites had been oppressed by uh, these foreigners, the Midianites. And they finally tapped for help and asked God uh, to help them. And God comes to Gideon. Uh, we don't have time to read the full story, so I'm going to paraphrase a lot this morning. But God comes to Gideon and he says, hey, uh, I want you to conquer that army of 300,000 people. And he's like, whoa, I don't think that's possible. It's way too hard. Have you seen our tribe? We're hiding in caves. We're scared. Um, it's way too hard. And uh, through some persuasion, he does some, he asks God for some signs. God delivers those signs. He trusts that God will provide. So he continues to build this army. And uh, we'll get to that part a little later. But that's what I want to point out first is just how God addresses Gideon the first time and how Gideon responds. That's the first thing I want to look at. Uh, Judges 6.12, the angel of the Lord appeared appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Oof. 
And uh, let's listen to uh, Gideon's response here. He said to him, Please, Lord, how can I serve Israel? How can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. God called him a mighty man of valor. Gideon says, no, I'm really weak. I'm scared. So the contrast is crazy there. So basically, what Gideon's saying is, you got the wrong guy. No, not the right guy. Uh, and I can relate. This is, this is, I just love the honesty of the scripture, right? These heroes of the Bible are just real people, and I can relate to them. In this case, Gideon responds the way I probably would have. Like, well, God, I have two older brothers that are a little stronger, a little more uh, built up and, and uh, wise, probably. They've been around a little longer. Um, I, I live in San Bernardino. Like, we're not the best clan. I mean, it's great, but we're not the best. It's like, those are the thoughts, right? Like, I don't live in Redlands, okay? I'm not in Ukaipa. I'm in San Bernardino. Are you sure you got the right guy? <clears throat> but God knows. I, I think it's very interesting. He says, look, this is... You're a mighty man of valor because that's how God works. God sees our potential and he helps us grow into it as we trust and obey him. God sees our potential well before we do. As we trust and obey. Trust and obey are are two um, things that really can just lead to faith. And, And really faith equals trust and obey. It's two sided. What is What is faith? It's trusting and obeying, even when we don't see the outcome. Uh, So in this story, we're going to look at some ways um, that we can trust God, like Gideon eventually did. Uh, Whatever you're facing, like God did for Gideon, he can help you through it, and he can navigate the trials of life. For Gideon, it was, it was hard, but it, it just got harder and harder and harder. Like I said earlier, it, wasn't, it didn't just stop at, hey, we want you to conquer that big army. It got harder and harder. We'll, we'll look at that in a minute. And so how do we decide? This is the question of, of how do we trust? How do we surrender control? How do we do that? It's not because a guy on the stage told you one day, hey, um, there's this passage I'll show you, and it says to trust God, so do it. I mean, that's a good first step to trust God and, and, and want to trust him. And it's not because you decided to do it. It's not because you said, I'm going to be a Christian now and I'm going to follow God and his ways. That's not what does it either. Those are both great first steps. But what truly helps us to grow in our trust is experience. And that makes us decide whether we want to trust God or not. There's a point in life where we come to this uh, kind of a crossroads, right? I keep going to the road analogy, but... We're on easy street. There's a crossroad. And uh, there's just this time in life where we have to decide, am I going to trust God with this or am I going to take it in my own hands and try to tackle it on my own and really let this beat me up? And that's the choice we make. And as we make more of these choices, our faith either grows or it stays stuck. And this experience, they, they feel like they're just too hard and we have to decide to push through and trust God or not. And when we decide that it's too hard, really what we're doing is we're over-promoting ourselves. And when we over-promote ourselves, we're saying, no, I'm in control. God, I got this one. I got this situation. I'm going I'm to do it. And to get unstuck, we have to demote ourselves. We, we over-promote ourselves, but in order to get unstuck from these hard things, we have to demote ourselves and surrender control. 
when uh, you're in charge of something, I was in management um, in a trucking company for 10 years, and when you're in control of something, there's three questions you ask. You ask uh, when something goes wrong, like if we had a poor customer experience, we would ask why, who, and how. Why did that happen? Who caused it to happen? And how are we going to fix it? Um, but when you're not in control, these are the wrong questions to ask. Uh, when we ask why, uh, when we're not in control, when, when God is the one who's in control of the situation, uh, when we ask why, it becomes a victim thinking. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? There's good why questions. Why is my fridge leaking water all over my kitchen? That's a good question. But why is my whole family sick? And why is my grandfather not doing well? Those are questions that we're not in control of, and, and it really becomes a victim. Why is this happening to me? Judges uh, 6, uh, 12 through 13, we see this. Uh, we see Gideon do this. So let's read. Uh, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, is the Lord with us? Uh, cue the sad violin. Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. What a... Uh, Gideon is asking here is a loaded question, meaning it hauls more freight than what he's actually asking. Um, he is actually accusing and asking why in order to accuse and say, it's not my fault. I'm the victim here. And we do this today a lot. Um, these questions keep us from actually focusing, especially this one. It keeps us from actually focusing on what we are in control of and uh, and we spend so much time focusing on the things that we aren't in control of. And so in turn, the things that are our stewardships, the things that we are in control of, they just fall short, and we don't spend enough time in those areas. The second question we uh, ask, and it's the wrong question to ask when you're not in control and it'll keep you stuck, is who? This is the blame game. Who is to blame? Uh, for Gideon in this story, it's the Midianites. Uh, it wasn't for them. We wouldn't be starving right now, God. Every time we grow crops, they come and just devour them. If it wasn't for those Midianites, everything would be great. Uh, if it wasn't for this circumstance in my life, everything would be great. That's, uh, I want to just point out a truth and a lie uh, in what Gideon says to God here. Uh, in, in the end of that, if we can put that verse back up, uh, 6, 12 through 13, this bottom verse here, but now the Lord has forsaken us, and given us into the hands of Midian. He's asking who, who's to blame, and he says, has, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. Did God give them into the hands of Midian? Well, he did. He could have controlled that and not done this, but did God forsake them? The forsaken part, the abandoned part, is all added by Gideon. And this is the danger of asking the wrong questions when you're going through a hard time, is you start to blame game. Who can I blame for this? And not only did he blame the Midianites and Midian, he blames a smidge of God. How have you forsaken us? All the stories our ancestors told us of how good you are, but now you've forsaken us. 
You've delivered us into the hands of Midian. You wiped your hands clean and said, okay, figure it out. God didn't do that, and he won't ever do that. Remember those first four verses we read today that said, God will never leave or forsake you. Be courageous. Do not be anxious about anything. All of those verses, God will never leave or forsake you. And asking who's to blame uh, can often keep us stuck. The third question is, how can I save me? This is the third question we ask. And uh, when, when we're in circumstances in life, going back to just how the world handles problems, oh, you can get through it. Uh, you're so strong and courageous. You got it. Um, you're amazing, and you can do anything on, that you put your mind to. Um, that leads us to when we go through hard things to say, I got this. I'm going to take care of it on my own because that's what I hear I can do. I can I just put my mind to it and fo- put everything else aside and just focus on this. I'll get through it. But that's not the case. As we uh, read Judges 6, 14 through 16, uh, here's Gideon asking the how question. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. There he goes again telling him how mighty he is. And save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? How can I Save Israel, because my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And here's the important part. This is what God says to any uh, leader when they're struggling, and any person as they're going through a hard time. It says, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall sh- strike the Midianites as one man. We look at things on the surface our circumstances on a surface level, and we say, man, if things are going bad, then I'm not doing good. If things are going great, then I'm doing good. But we forget that it's the inside, and we got to really surrender our control to God. Uh, We look at things happening, and we think, I'm all alone in this, but God says he's with you. But here's another question. How do we get to the place where we can surrender and trust God? How do we get to that place? And that's where we go back to the tunnels. God has to ramp up the hard, and because of that, we trust. And that's what he did to Midian, uh, or to Midian, to Gideon. Those words rhyme. Gideon, uh, he, he, in this story, Gideon has no army. He has a bunch of people that are hiding in the hills and um, hungry, and he's got this army of 300,000 trained soldiers, and God says, look, I want you to take these, this, um, these Midianites down and he's able to scrounge up 32,000 men. He gets 32,000 men, and that doesn't seem like enough, right? 300,000 versus 32,000, um, and it's 32,000 dads versus 300,000 trained soldiers. And uh, God says, let's put, the, actually, let's put this verse up, uh, 7-2, Judges 7-2. This is what God says to that as he gets his army. And uh, I'm sure Gideon's like, I can't do this with 32,000 people. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. That's too many people. That's way too many people. You, you guys are going to take credit for this if, if you win. This is doable. Um, it doesn't happen often, but if you look through the history books, the 10 to 1 odds, it's happened uh, with some really good strategy and, and a little bit of... Uh, Grit, but um, God says, you know, that's too many people. And so what he does is he says, hey, go, go to your, your, your soldiers and say, hey, if you're scared, go home. And then 22,000 of them left. That's not what you see in the movies. 
<laughs> it would have been swords in the air, right? Well, in fact, they didn't have swords. They had trumpets and a torch, I think, is what they ended up with. But uh, 22,000 of Gideon's men left. <clears throat> and when they left, he was uh, mathematicians. That's two-thirds of his army, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not a mathematician. But two-thirds of his army gone. He had 10,000 people left, and he was, they were all scared. Uh, the 10,000 people who stayed, God said again, Gideon, that's too many people. So just when you think it's hard, he says, well, I want you to trust me. That's too many people. And so what he says is, hey, go to the river, watch them drink, and if they put it in their hands and lap it up like a dog, set those guys aside, and, and then those will be your men. <laughs> so he's like at the river, like, come on, drink it like a dog. Come on, come on, guys. Um, but uh, only 300 of them did. So he's left with 300 versus 300,000. That's a lot. Uh, that's a big uh, gap there. 300 versus 300,000. And that's the point Gideon's like, I can't do this. But God comes to him again and says, yes, you can. And they end up winning this victory with no, arm, no, arm, uh, no armed soldiers. They have a trumpet, a torch, and a pot. And they surround this camp where the Midianites are uh, after um, he sneaks in and hears a dream in the dark. And uh, all this unfolds. Please read this story for yourself. It's a great one. Um, and he says, hey, just do what I do. Follow my lead. I think this is going to work. Uh, he breaks the pot. They all break the pot. They raise their torches. They blow their trumpets. And uh, it says that God turned the soldiers' weapons against themselves inside the camp. It didn't say that Gideon's army destroyed them all. These soldiers, these trained military, 300,000 men, um, trained to, to do military work, they turned the swords upon each other because they were scared and they thought, oh my goodness, we're surrounded, and they just, it was dark, and they just started uh, hitting anything they saw, and God turned their weapons against themselves, and Gideon wins this battle. So as Gideon wins this battle, and the victory happened, who got the credit? God. If he would have won with 32,000 men, and they would have went in there with their weapons and took care of business, who would have got the credit? Most likely, Gideon. But because it was 300 versus 300,000, I don't think Gideon can write a strategy book on on war strategy and say, hey, this is how to do it. You want to get a pot, a trumpet, and a torch? I don't think people would buy into that. Uh, so God was then at work here. And so Gideon trusted, and they win the battle. That second part of faith that we talked about was to trust and obey. And how do we obey? We obey step by step. So we talked about the three things that keep us stuck, those three questions that keep us stuck. But as we obey step by step, the only question we can ask to keep us moving forward in God's ways is what? What is my next step? What is the next step? As I read through Gideon, again, uh, I would encourage you guys to do this. I counted nine steps he took. You might count more. Maybe you'll count less. But I counted nine steps. Uh, we didn't start this story 30, uh, 300 versus 300,000. Go. That's not where it started. Uh, Gideon was hiding in a cave, grinding some wheat, um, so his people had some food, and he was hiding, and that's where the story started, and he took one step forward each time he was asked, and one step at a time, he got to the finish, where the big finale is, right, the winning of the battle, and uh, as he took each step, God was involved in those steps, and God does the same thing today. Uh, we want to see all the steps ahead of us, Right? Like, I want to see this nice paved pathway, little stepping stones, and then I want to see the big, nice 
uh, destination. Um, often, like, when you're hiking to, like, a waterfall, you're like, man, can I just see the waterfall so I can be encouraged to keep going? But that's not how it works. He wants us to take one step in faith at a time, and when you take that one step in faith, he rewards you. As you're faithful with a little, he rewards you with more. And so I'm going to recap here what we talked about this morning. Obey step by step is, is that last point. And that's the question we want to ask is what's the next step for me? So maybe right now there's a step in your life. Maybe you have a, a, a relationship that's really hard and you're waiting for that person to talk to you and, and you really need to be the one that initiates it. Maybe that's your first step. Or maybe your first step is remembering that, to trust and obey God in, in faith. Maybe that's your first step. But whatever it is, life is not simple, but God gives us the help we need to persevere through the complexities and the challenges, and if we turn to him in faith, we can keep going forward and doing our part in his plan, because God always has a plan and a purpose. So when it seems like life's too hard, we can get stuck if we do these following things. This is just to kind of paraphrase what we've talked about. We can isolate the thought. And tell ourselves the truth. We've got to identify the lie. When you have those thoughts, not just in your kids, but inside, and it's twisting you up, what's the lie? Is that true? Is it too hard? And remind yourself, I may not have to have what it takes to do this, but God, you, will, you do. There's a verse in Jeremiah 32, 17. This is the, just the verse that really sums this up. It says, Ah, oh, Lord God. It is you who have made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. So when it's too hard, ask the right questions. Step outside. Look at the vast creation around you and say, God, you created this, and I know you can handle this in my life. So I'm surrendering it to you. I want to obey you. I want to trust you. Just pray Jeremiah 32, 17, that God, you created this and nothing is too hard for you. So asking the right question takes your thoughts from why is this so hard, but what can I do uh, to deal with the complexity and the challenges of life? The second thing we can do is refuse to cave into discouragement that follows the thoughts. Refuse to cave into the discouragement that follows those thoughts the enemy puts in our mind. When you think it's too hard, refuse to cave into discouragement. Yes, it's hard, but is it too hard? Refuse to cave into that discouragement. The third is just ask God for help. He's right there with you. Like Joshua 1.9 said, we read earlier, he's right there with you. And then the last is resolve to do what you can to move forward toward the goal. Take the little steps in faith. Take the next step. So I would like to leave us this morning with some next steps. We do this each week at Ridgeview. If, if there's one of these next steps that you want to take uh, in your life, please let us know you're taking it. We want to pray for you as you do. Uh, we want to connect with you through that connection card. And if there's a next step that you, you want to take, we'll pray for you as you take it. Um, even if it's something that I'm not going to mention here, um, there's something else that you know needs to be done, we want to pray alongside you as you take that next step. The band's going to come up, and we're going to close out after these. But just the first next step is memorize Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and your outstretched arm, nothing is impossible for you. Memorize that. 
Uh, scripture memorization can be so key in your life. If you memorize these scriptures, when you go through hard things or, or any other thing, there is most likely a scripture you can memorize to combat uh, what you're going through. Um, and then the second is just read Judges chapter 6 through chapter 8 of on your own. This is the full story of Gideon. I would recommend it. It's a great story. And uh, it always reminds me that, man, when life's hard, it's not Gideon hard. It's not, it's not that hard. I'm not having to battle an army. So those two are the next steps. Um, like I said, the band's going to come up and play one last song.